You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 269 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. We've got a guest in the background too. That's your dog, not mine. Yes, that is Groucho <laughs> that you can hear, everyone. So he is heralding the start of this episode. So thank you very much yes. for joining us. It's a good theme um, for this episode too. <laughs> Dogs? Yeah, 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 because we've got an interview coming up with Cam Neville and, uh, uh, yeah, Br- uh, Brisbane Gold, uh, Gold Coast photographer just outside the Gold Coast, and um, he had a guest peacock in the background. Love it. And I had guest Tiger, my 18-year-old Tabby, <laughs> who is deaf, uh, in the background yes. just meowing as he, he likes to participate in the podcast we're sometimes. We're keeping it real, yes. Gina. We're keeping it real. <laughs> All right. So, yes, this week we're talking about the art of photographing meaningful and authentic portraits with Cam Neville, and we'll get to that very soon. But in the meantime, we would like to give a big shout-out to Barry Stingmore, who has uh, who is in the so you want to be a uh, so you want to be a photographer listener community on Facebook and he recently posted hi everyone I joined the group recently and thought it'd be good to introduce myself I'm British and currently living in Fuerteventura one of the Canary Islands off the west coast of Africa that's pretty oh, I in the UK I did some photography work in my spare time but a series of life events, long story best told over a jar of Nutella, <laughs> saw me take a step back and focus on my day job. On moving to the island, I found work as a photographer at a zoo. That would be so I cool. know. The working conditions aren't great, but I have my camera in my hand every day. It has reignited my passion for photography and has opened the door to other photography work here. I love shooting all sorts of wildlife and sport are my favourite subjects. Bit of an odd combo, I know. I probably need to niche down one way or the other going ahead. Gina and Val, I'm loving the podcasts and I'm playing catch up with the older episodes. Just finished episode 163. That is the one about bathing in Nutella. (laughs) 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 Okay. And and, uh, um, Barry has um, included a photo of him with his camera. And I think they're, they're like lemurs or... Do you think they're lemurs? Like looking into the viewfinder of his camera. It's the cutest photo. I don't know what they are. I would call them some form of um, primate, Val. (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) Or meerkat. I thought they were meerkats, but they're they're not meerkats, I don't think. Barry, maybe you can let us know. Yeah, let us know. Because it's an adorable photo of these cute little furry things. Um, All right. So uh, if you're not already in the listener community on Facebook, it's free to join. Make sure that you um, find us. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love 
to have you in there. Um, and in addition to the free listener community, there's also a membership community, the gold community, where you get access to Gina, get her to get uh, to be able to ask her lots of questions, participate in Ask Me Anythings, have photo critiques if you want, billions of tutorials to choose from. What have you been busy doing with the gold community this week, oh, Gina? Lots of lo – what I love is when, you know, we get questions about, okay, so I'm doing this shoot next week, what do I do? And then we all can workshop together about the best sort of lighting, scouting the location, you know, helping everyone through that. And then I love to see the photos back and, you know, the success of all, all the goldies. We've been working on developing a unique style, so mm. not just – there's a lot of photographers in the world today. There are a lot of photographers doing the same, same stuff. You know, every every photo looks the same. So I think it's really important that you develop your own unique style. It's like your own unique voice. And so we're talking about how to perfect lighting so that it doesn't look lit, mastering different editing techniques so it doesn't look edited as well. And also, like we've been workshopping the best way to deliver the finished product to the client, you know, are you, are you supplying with USBs or are you mounting images or how are you delivering the client, uh, the client their product and all the different ways that you can take your work to the next level. I love seeing my Goldies fly. It uh, just makes my day avail. Mm, absolutely. If you want to find out a bit more about the cold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the Gold Community. One of the things I love is mentoring the incredible photographers who are in my gold community. I recently asked Kerry Setch about how much the gold community has had an impact on her photography. So it's just level upon level upon level. So when I first started, I really didn't understand even portraiture and lighting at yep. all. So to learn those basics, but then to push myself and for you to push me in that to... Um, to uh, go that next level has been really incredible. So as well as the support and connections that have developed within the community. So um, yeah, it's been really good in the access to resources. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, just go to ginamilitia.com and click on join the community. All right, this week's episode, how to photograph meaningful and authentic Portraits with Cam Neville. Tell us about this, Gina. Yeah, Cam's a documentary photographer and he's based in southeast Queensland and he has been nominated for the world's richest photographic uh, competition, the Moran uh, contemporary photographic prize uh, five times reaching the finals twice Amazing. and he's currently doing a long-term project called into the fire and that's also received international acclaim and was featured on the bbc uk world and he was also voted one of the best uh, 100 best uh, wedding photographers worldwide recently so um this is an interesting um uh, interview because I don't think you're going to hear from many documentary uh, style photographers who who will go to the lengths that Cam has gone to to get a shot and uh, you know he he became a volunteer firefighter to get close uh, to uh, the firefighters to be able to work on this project and actually uh, risked his life 
to do that. And so um, if you go and check out his beautiful images of uh, firefighters and the fires, you can't get these images uh, with a long lens from the safety of your home. He, he, he risked his life and then earned the respect of the firefighters that he worked alongside. Um, and do go and have a look at them. They're at camneville.com. Camneville.com. Yeah. They're amazing, yeah. And then we, 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 we discussed uh, what it takes to turn these personal projects uh, into a book and, um, you know, what it means to photograph meaning, meaningful and authentic pro, uh, portraits. And he also walks us through uh, his uh, portrait shooting uh, technique and, um, you know, we talk about all sorts of things and the importance of connection and respect. It's a really great interview. He's a top bloke and uh, his work is uh, absolutely beautiful. Check it out before you listen to the interview. It's good to have an idea of some of these images in your mind if you can. And, um, yeah, enjoy the interview. Cam Neville, welcome to the show. How are you going? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. It's so great to chat to you today. Before we start... Where in the world are you? I live in a place called Guanabar, which is uh, settled at the foot of uh, beautiful Mount Tambourine here in southeast Queensland. So it's um, about 35 kilometres inland from uh, the Gold Coast, if, if that makes it easier for people. Yeah, I was <laughs> so. just having a look on the map. So it's, uh, it's quite remote. And you're on how many acres? Uh, we're on about nine acres, although my wife always disputes that with the little creek we've got down the side, whether that's ours or not. But uh, yeah, it's about nine, eight and a half to nine acres. So, so yeah. how far is it from, how far do you drive up the driveway for how long before you get to your house? How long does uh, it take? Yeah, it's a long driveway, but it's not not like overly long. Um, it'll puff you out running, that's for sure, because it's pretty steep. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a couple of minutes up the drive. We've got a sort of a stone driveway and then it turns in into a sort of concrete mess that's all cracked and cracking away. So uh, another thing that needs to be fixed around here. But, uh, yeah, it's a decent size. And, I mean, a lot of – sorry, go on. So you got some lambs there at the moment? We do, yes. <laughs> we've just had uh, three lambs born about uh, four weeks ago. So uh, we've got them fairly close to the house, so you might hear them sort of jumping around and making noises, although now I'm looking out the window, they're actually falling over sideways sleeping. So – um, but yeah, we do. We've just had, they were born four weeks ago. Uh, we have two, we have Ivy and Dolly and, uh, they're very cute. We've got a Dorper and I'm not sure what the other one is. Um, but they're very cute. They're very cute. Yeah. So we've had, had fun times with them running around the garden and, uh, the kids have, uh, yeah, they've just had a had a ball with them. They've, they've you know, been picking them up. And they, I mean, it's, you know, it's all right to say you've got lambs, but it's the actual smell and the noises of the lambs that, you know, it really, you know, makes you feel connected to the land and, you know, to them. You know, it's, it's great. They just smell nice. <laughs> it's a great smell. But, you know, you have to be into farm smells, I guess, you know, which not a lot of people are. So, there <laughs> it's you go. the best. It sounds beautiful. So, like... Um, your fire images, uh, they're, they're just so striking and powerful. How, how did you uh, get into uh, volunteering to fight fires and why? Yeah, uh, 
look, it was uh, one of those decisions that I think I'd been, I tend to mull over things for quite a while. And I'd, I'd been thinking about um, joining the local brigade, you know, when we moved here. I hadn't, you know, I think like everybody else, I'd seen the trucks on TV during the summer and all that sort of stuff. And uh, obviously, we've been discussing off air about the Black Saturday fires, which were very tragic. And, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, we've moved to the country. I'm not sure how much use I'm going to be because, you know, a lot of those guys have... Uh, incredible trades and things that they ply, you know, mechanics and uh, not to stereotype them, but they're all pretty useful, you know, they're useful guys. They know what they're doing and the women too, mm. you know, that we, we have women in our brigade. Um, but then, you know, I, I started thinking, well, I have my camera, maybe, you know, I could approach them about maybe starting to take some photographs. So, uh, you know, I literally popped in there one night and um, spoke to them about it. And, uh, you know, I came across this character, Red, who was the subject of my one of my first portraits, which was in the Olive Cotton Prize this year? Um, Is that the one where he's got the like he's uh, freckles? And freckles really yes. And yeah, yeah. I mean, he's an amazing guy, and you know, uh, talking to him straight away, you know, I knew this was going to be something special, and um, you know, I just put it to them sort of straight up that you know that's kind of what I'd like to do, but. You know, it wasn't quite that simple because of insurance purposes and training and things like that. I mean, I had no knowledge of fires, fire trucks, how fires works, what was required and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, I had to go and do the basic training. And um, what, What's that involve? Well, there's, uh, you know, a lot of theory work and then there's just time spent doing hazard reduction burns and getting, you know, getting your fire feet, if you like, so to speak, um, uh, being out and, uh, you know, being in that atmosphere. You have to, you know, you have to learn to be in, in that kind of atmosphere, which for some people is very confronting. And, you know, for me initially, uh, I think the first fire I actually saw um, I was still a fair distance from, but uh, I can remember the chills, you know, going up my spine. And, you know, that was another one of those moments where I was thinking, well, was this really a good idea? Um, you know, because I'd had no experience of fires or bushfires or, or anything along those lines. So so tell us what it's like to be in, in the middle of uh, that fire as a green um, volunteer yeah, well, I think shortly after that, we actually had a fairly decent-sized fire start uh, not too far from where I live, and um, we were we were called out to that fire, and um, it went for a couple of days, and um, there was myself and a couple of other guys. Uh, there was one woman, Karen, and another guy, Jamie, that were also sort of relatively new, and They'd given us a pretty easy job of just walking down this fire line, checking that, um, you know, nothing had jumped this containment line. Um, so that was pretty much our job. I mean, it was fairly sort of straightforward. And I think that was because we obviously had zero experience. So, so they're protecting the new volunteers by giving them... Um, you're, not, you're not going to be thrown into the, like, no, no, the they thick of it they, early on. Absolutely not. They can't do that. Um, you, you know, the first officers who are the guys that uh, run the operational side of each brigade, you know, they get a gauge for the people, you know, after a, t after a while, they know who can do what. Um, 
and whether you're capable of, of, of turning out to a fire, you know, by yourself with a new person or if you're new and going with a more experienced person. So the general rule of thumb was that, you know, you know for me at that stage, I mean, he got a gauge pretty quick that I, I had common sense. I just didn't have the experience behind the truck. Um, but he'd send me, um, uh, a good friend of mine, Adam, uh, I used to, you know, back then seven odd years ago, I, you know, he and I were going to sort of a few things together. So, you know, I gained experience from him and, you know, learning about pumps and, and also how to read, you know, situations of, um, you know, when the sort of initial call comes, it can give you sort of basic information about where the fire is, what type of fire it is. And, you know, they'll normally tell you whether it's urgent or not, you know, and, um, you know, that gives you a gauge of, you know, your response time and, and things like that. So, um, so no, they won't throw you in the deep end. Um, you have to go through sort of basic training. You have to get a volunteer number. Then you have to do your firefighter minimum skills. Um, and then after that, you, you know, you get experience. Once you've got your volunteer number, you can attend hazard reduction burns and things like that to get experience, which is where you need to, you need to go and work on those, um, those fires. So, you know, it might be a pile burn or something along those lines. And that's how you, you gain your experience. And slowly over time, you know, you'll start attending, you know, bigger incidents. Um, but they, no, they certainly won't throw you in the deep end. So, so, so you kind of taught um, ha- how to uh, navigate around a big fire or to um, to understand, like, where to, where to stand so that you're safe and, and what to look yeah, out I mean, for and how to see. Because like, I imagine when you're in the thick of it, there's like, it's not like you can see very far in front of you. And like, what's all that like? Yeah, so, you know, I think you're, you're normally attached to a truck. So we've got, we've got sort of a light and a medium. So the medium holds like six or seven people and the light is just a two-man truck. So your truck is really your lifeline to everything when you're out in a fire, you know, your radios, water and supplies and things along those lines. So, and it, you know, protects you. And so you have to be very aware of how your truck's facing so that if things do go wrong, that your truck's facing the right way towards some sort of escape route. And so you're taught that kind of thing, how to get in and out of the truck. I mean, that can be hazardous with obviously the truck being fairly high off the ground. So they teach you those kind of workplace you know health and safety issues i know it sounds ironic but you know that kind of stuff can save your life literally i mean you know how to wear your ppe you know you must always wear your mask so it's personal protection equipment so it's like we have a a helmet made of kevlar and you have your fire uniform which is uh treated with a substance called proban which is to you know um deflect sort of embers and things like, like those but you know, the one of the biggest things is, you know, never, you should never be really standing too close to a fire, you know, like that. Um, you know, so it's the distance and a lot of it comes down to experience and working with the guys that are very experienced. I mean, we have a guy in our brigade, Terry Whitehead, who's about 73 years, 73 years old. He's ex- still extremely wiry and active and, um, you know, his knowledge of, fires is incredible i mean he's been all up and down the east coast fighting fires over the last sort of 30 40 years been down to the snowy mountains and all all this sort of stuff and um you know 
his his knowledge you know when you go to a fire you listen you have to listen to these people and you have to listen to what they're telling you where to stand and what's going on and you have to try and start to absorb you know all this information and also try to um yeah that try to... <laughs> no that's uh, edward the peacock actually so <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you could hear that. It's quite piercing. Yeah, so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so look, a, a lot of the training is you, keeping you safe, keeping right. you safe and your crewmates because at the end of the day, that's the bottom line. You have to be safe. You know, if it's unsafe, the fire just goes. You know, you pull out. You know, there's no situation you should ever be in, you know, where your life is in danger like that. You know, that's they teach you to be safe and to keep your crew members safe and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's sort of, you know, that's the real crux of the training is, is to make sure that, you know, you're staying safe. And if you can't, then, you you know, you shouldn't be in whatever position you're in. You need to, you know, get out of there. So, so you know, when, we, when you arrive at incidents, you know, that's, you know, paramount to have a look around and, you know, you have to formulate some sort of a plan of, you know, where is the fire? Where's a safe distance? How are we going to, you know, uh, uh, attend this incident? How are we going to, you know, attack this particular fire? Or, you know, so there's a lot of that. So, yeah, being safe is, is number one. So um, when, you're, when you're working as a volunteer, you're yep. a volunteer first, so is the, the, the your first role is to work as a firefighter, right? Yes, and then absolutely. And then yep. how does it work with the documentary photography side of it? Is that um, have you got a camera and you'll you'll take some time to take shots? Is it on the run? How does that all work? Yeah, look, it's it's a. You know, it's a tricky one. Uh, I mean, there's been occasions where I come away with zero photos because, you know, possibly the incident's moving too quick or, you know, there just isn't the opportunity and, and that's been frustrating. But I think, uh, you know, I learned over time that um, if I come away from any incident I attend with one photo or even two, then, you know, that's a success because there just sometimes isn't the time Sometimes it's not appropriate. Um, you know, you have to pick and choose. And it has been disappointing on occasion that, you know, I've come away with something less than, you know, I thought I should have. But you just have to learn to live with that. And, you know, there's always another fire coming along. So there's always more, you know, uh, opportunity to, to go and, and shoot. But getting back to uh, how it's done I, I I really have to thank you know the members of my brigade that you know have certainly allowed me you know some sort of freedom but they know that you know ultimately I'm there to help them and then you know if I can you know take uh, you know I mean some of the photos have been taken within a split second of you know me pulling in a hose and then you know I'll, I'll whip my camera around from my back and rattle off a couple of shots and hope that they're in focus, you know. Um, just because a scene sort of may present itself as you're doing something, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of more or less how it works. There's been other times where I've had more time to sort of compose, you know. Sometimes, I mean, there's a shot on my website I was just looking at actually where it's um, – there's like a country path and the smoke's coming through and the light, that sort of cathedral lighting's coming through the trees 
and you can sort of see bits of fire on the ground. I mean, it's a very eerie kind of beautiful yeah. photo. Um, I mean, that was taken shortly after the fire front had passed us and we were, you know, moving out of our position. Um, but I just sort of come round to the front of the truck and, you know, this <laughs> this scene had just appeared. I mean, it's it's quite amazing sometimes. I mean, this scene had just appeared before me. You know, yeah, and it's beautiful uh, I, and I deadly at the same time. This is the, this is the, the 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 confusing part for me because it's like the, these images where these there's these walls of fire, obviously <laughs> so deadly, but yet at the same time quite beautiful. I don't know how else to explain it. And so you, yeah, must it be is. Con- I mean, it, it is, it is, and it is incredibly confronting. And um, you know, I'll, I'll go into a bit of a story later. I won't tell you now, but um, yeah, it is, you know, and it's, it's really hard to explain sometimes about, I mean, that that shot is really the pinnacle of, you know, I guess what I've been doing for the last sort of seven years is, yeah. you know, there is this inherent beauty with it and yet it's so destructive and it destroys lives as well. And so in some ways it is a bit controversial like that, I suppose, yeah. because you know, for a lot of people, fire is just destructive and ruins their lives. And yet for me, there's this whole other side of it, you know, and it's nature at its, you know, it's most ferocious. And, and it, you know, the other thing is that there, there is kind of nothing we can do about it. We, we try to steer fires in certain, you know, certain areas to try and, um, you know, uh, control them. But ultimately, you know, when conditions get really bad, there is just nothing you can do. And, yeah. and, and that's, you know, that's nature. It's the same as a cyclone. You know, you can't stop a cyclone. It's just coming and it's going to dump the rain and it's going to, you know, the wind's going to blow and things like that. And, you know, there are people that capture those things as well. Um, but I, I don't know. There's just something for me about Australia and, and this fire and and certainly, um, you know, having captured some of these images over the years, I mean, being in these situations is, uh, yeah, it, it has been nerve-wracking at times. Um, but, you know, when you come away with a picture like that, you know, and you get home and you're all black and smoky and all this sort of stuff, you know, and you, you, 12 o'clock at night, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm still uploading photos on yeah. you, so, so tired, you know, my head's falling on my desk and... Um, but you know that there's that one picture somewhere and you're sifting through them. At, you know, it's now like 2 o'clock in the morning and then you find it and you're like, well, it was worth it. You know, yeah. It was was worth all of that, you know, just for that one shot. Um, but, you know, the other point is I'm not really sure what that says either about me or the shot itself, you know. Is that like glorification or, you know, am I looking for something? I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, so, but, but it's like it's hard for any of us to know what it's like for these um, brave men and women who go out there and uh, the, the, volunteering. So how does it work? Uh, it, it does their, their meals are covered and uh, uniforms are covered, but they're not paid. Are they like leaving their jobs to go and fight fires? Yeah. And their so, families? Yeah, yeah. So everybody's a volunteer, unpaid volunteer. So yeah. we actually work for Queensland fire and emergency um, but yeah, we don't get paid. But things that you mentioned there are, are covered. So, and we are covered in for insurance purposes. So, yeah. if anything that happens to us on the fire grounds, wherever we are, then you know the government will, um, the legislation 
will cover us for whatever you know accident or you know anything that happens to us. But uh, generally speaking, no. And I, I think that's something that that came up again during this recent fire at Saraba uh, near near Canungra. It was a devastating fire. Um, this this was just recently, Cam, is yeah, that right? So, right. so like maybe a month ago from yeah, the time of right. this recording? Yeah, it started uh, around September the 1st yeah. and uh, it went on for probably close to three to three and a half weeks, I think. Um, we spent a good – we were initially there for a good 10 days, 24 hours a day um, at the initial at the sort of start of that, you know, when that fire ignited. Uh, I mean, there was uh, at one point, I think, on a Friday, the last shift I did was on a Friday night. Actually, no, it was the second to last one. Um, there was something like 90 trucks there, you know, wow. with a minimum of sort of two people to three, four on each truck. I mean, you're looking between sort of three to 400 firefighters, let alone, you know, all the aircraft and, and resources like bulldozers and things they had. So, um, yeah, but going back to that, I... Um, you know, a lot of those people, you know, didn't work over that period because, you know, it was absolutely desperate. I mean, they had emergency warnings going out constantly and, you know, the crews, we were all pushed to the edge. Um, you know, as people in New South Wales and Victoria know, those those firefighters know, you yeah. know, you get pushed to the very edge of exhaustion and, uh, you know, not just exhaustion, no, it's emotional, you know, you got yeah. this emotional turmoil going on in your head as well about your, the needs of your family and everything else but that all kind of goes out the window um, when an incident hey I can hear pussycats yes that's uh, my 18 year old uh, he makes an appearance <laughs> regularly he's deaf so um, we just let him go <laughs> everyone knows him now <laughs> so yeah I guess you know that all goes out the window and, and you know my wife and uh, you know a lot of our friends were supporting, you know, our family during that time, you know, uh, picking my kids up from school and from dance and things like that. So the community is absolutely vital to pretty much everything, particularly those kind of firefighting efforts, you know, because it was literally, you know, these guys, men and women, were coming home from work, throwing on the fire uniform and going doing like 12-hour shifts until the next morning at 6 a.m., you know, get a couple of hours sleep, have to go to work and then be out, you know, doing – and this went on for days. That's amazing. Uh, and that's pretty much how that works until that incident. But they needed, you know, it's when you when you were needed. People were needed. The firefighters were all needed on that fire. Everybody needed to, you know, step up and step into – you know, doing as much as they possibly can. And a lot of people did, you know, went beyond that um, because, you know, it was a terrible, terrible situation for those people. Um, but, I, you know, I can remember being in a, a BP service station in Canungra and, you know, people were just coming up to us in the truck and saying thank you and, uh, wow. and you know, yeah, I mean, it's very emotional because, you know, you can never really tell them that, you know, they're going to be ultimately safe. But the fact that that trust is there is, is quite an incredible, it's an incredible feeling. And I guess it's a, you know, it's a big driving force for, uh, you know, me personally, I suppose, you know, when these complete strangers just come up to you and, and just, you know, say things like that or, you know, just wave or something. You know, we'd just come down off the fire line one night to get fuel and we had to go back up and, and, you know, and all these people were just, you know, it was amazing. It's an amazing feeling. So, 
Yeah, well, you're heroes to that community. You're keeping them safe. Um, so I imagine the relationships with um, your fellow uh, firefighters is like you, you become tight, brothers and sisters, right? Um, so when you're working on um, an ongoing project like yours in documenting these fires, um, how, how important is that to be um, respected by those uh, people and to know them well? Um, because I, I just see these incredible, um, not only the, um, the shots of the actual fire, but the firefighters working, but these uh, close portraits you've done of all the firefighters, like you, they're really um, so authentic and deep. I mean, it could be easy to, to do um, these sorts of shots, which kind of would um, almost trivialise the, the firefighters themselves. But these are so powerful. And how well did you know them at this stage when you started um, doing these uh, portraits? Yeah, well, I've only recently done those in the last year or so. So you've um, already fought alongside them. So you're considered one yeah. of them, right? Yeah, I think, you know, that's that's been absolutely key to the whole project really um, is, uh, you know, this trust. Um, mm. They know me and they know that I will pull my weight and do – and I mean in some ways I've had to work, you know, I don't work, hard, I don't work harder than them. It's just the fact that it's been more difficult for me because none of this kind of stuff comes very naturally. Right. Yeah, you know, as I explained before, you know, my friend Red, who's the you know the first sort of fire portrait. I mean, he's you know he he drives a truck for a living and he's a mechanic and he you know so he knows these kind of things are all second nature to him. You know, uh, you know, and I find with those kind of people that moving into like emergency situations, they're just very calm and they're very staid and kind of. They just know what to do and you know being around people like that is very inspiring uh, you know and you want some of it to rub off on yourself mm. you know and that being said um i think over the last you know six seven years they've obviously seen that you know i wasn't joking when i came and said you know i wanted to start documenting kind of what you guys are doing and i, I really wanted to show uh, who the people were. I mean, you know, it's okay to show all of these great fire pictures and flames and all this sort of other stuff, but, you know, it doesn't really tell you who these people are. It just shows these extraordinary situations. So, you know, it was really important for me to get up as close as I possibly could to experience and to really put the viewer exactly where I was or the firefighter was. Yeah, you know, and I've had, I guess I've had a lot of comments over the years about, you know, people could feel the fire. And so for me, that that's a great bit of feedback because yeah. it means that, you know, they are experiencing um, what these men and women are doing. So, yes. So with regards to the portraits, um, I'd started to put my book together and I was talking to a good friend of mine who was helping me edit back. And I'd, I'd shot one of these portraits a few years and she said, look, you know, it would be a really good idea if you could, you know, get more of these. So I, I you know, I just asked everyone and uh, look, not everybody's in there. Some people didn't want to have their photograph taken and so I have to respect that as well. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority of them um, were, were open to it. I mean, I've got more that I haven't, uh, I haven't yet done anything with. But yeah. 
Um, and that's a series that will continue, you know, as the firefighters change within the dynamic of the brigade with people coming and going. And, um, but I wanted them to be really stark. You know, I yeah. think uh, I, I really, it was important to see the faces and not really have any distractions from, um, you know, any, any kind of other things. So um, I think we're taking those um you know, deciding to put them on a black background and things like that. I really wanted to focus on, you know, the faces of these people and so that everyone could see exactly who they are and, you know, see into their eyes and ultimately, you know, their spirits, I suppose. So. That's the thing that I noticed. It's like I can see their souls. It's like you're yeah. looking straight in and that that's um, the beauty of these portraits. When you're um, setting up that shoot, did you are you doing them uh, all at once or are you no. at different times? No, and I set up a, Sorry, go on. Uh, and, and, and so are you like the first shot you did, um, that was your um, – you based all the others on on that style that 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 determined the style for all future shots. How yeah. much are you um, directing, or do you d- not need to direct them at all because you've got this sort of? I, I guess as because you're fighting together, um, there's not you you le- understand how to read each other, and you don't need a lot of language. How does that all work? Yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty correct. Um, I think after doing the initial portrait, you know, most of them had seen kind of what I was doing, so they knew. Um, but look, you, you're correct. I mean, I, I think that bond that's been formed over the years with being out on the fire line and has afforded me, you know, to be in a great position for which I'm very grateful. Um, you know, I. I I don't feel like there's a lot of other work like this that shows these people in this capacity. And no. I think I think ultimately that was very important to how the project could differ um, was to really get under the skin. And, you know, that was going to be difficult because, um, you know, I didn't know any of these people at the time. And, you know, I talked to one of my friends, Troy, just recently, um, who's been a great supporter and actually pulled pull, pulled me out of a couple of fires on occasion where I've been coughing up a lot of smoke and uh, he's like, what are you doing there? So, you know, I'm very, very grateful oh. to him. Um, well, no, he's just pulled me back. You know, I was trying to get right in the thick of things and um, you know, he's pulled me out of things. Um, but I was talking to him recently about, uh, you know, he said, oh, I remember when you first turned up at the brigade and I thought, geez, who's this joker? But he said, look, look at this book. He said, you actually did it. And, um, you know, um, so that, that was, you know, that's great to hear that. And I think that must be ha- tough, though. Sorry, Cam. Like, I I imagine when you first turned up, you would have felt that from the and it's yeah, it's difficult was... to join um, such a, a close knit community where these guys like protect each other's lives, and you rock up with a camera going, "Yeah, I can do this. I'm going to help out as well." Of course, they're going to look at you in that way, you know. Yeah, I was, uh, I was completely and utterly intimidated. Yeah. Like, belief you know because i was relatively new to country living as well so i had zero experience soft of, hands know, cam too yeah Soppy, pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty sort of fairy liquid hands i yeah. tell you so which they're very different now they're very big and full of calluses and yeah. uh, cuts and bruises and burns and all these sorts of things so yeah things have changed but yeah look that was uh, you know that was really really confronting for me because you know i just had absolutely 
And to be honest, I mean, I had really no idea whether they were going to say yes or whether I could actually do what I'd told them I could do. You know, it was a it was a real, you know, <laughs> I really went out on a on a whim there of, of thinking, well, you know, if I can get in and do this, it would be great. And I was just really lucky that it worked. Um, but yeah, that was tough. But uh, you know, that's that's what's allowed me to you know to ask them to do those things. You know. So with the portraits, I, I set up a backdrop in my garden and um, I just had them come round and sit on this stool and, um, you know, I just was chatting away to them about, you know, the day and just normal stuff. And that was about as much directing as I did. I mean, they're, they're pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I occasionally said, you know, you just move your head up or something like that a little bit. and. I was trying to keep them fairly consistent, but uh, you know, in saying that, I like the fact that they're not particularly consistent as well. Mm. I think that backgrounds and the eyes and things like that are, but you know, it's. I wanted, I really wanted them to be sort of who they are, and I, I'm glad that that kind of comes across. Are they lit or are you using daylight? No, they're not lit at all. No. Yeah, so it's daylight, and then uh, are they? Um, because you're bringing them, it's interesting that you bring them to your place and you're not going to the fire station. Yeah, That's an want, interesting move. I didn't really, uh, I didn't want them to be at the fire station um, for various reasons that I didn't want them to feel conscious. It was really, you know, it was really important that I get the kind of pictures that I got, which was seeing into their souls. And I, I just felt that there might be a bit of... Um, a bit of a problem shooting them at the station in terms of how those people feel. I wanted them to be relaxed and here I could make them a coffee and yeah. we could have a chat. It was just like a normal day for them rather than I mean I'm Being sure it would work. have been Yeah, I'm sure it would have been fine, but I really wanted to get detached from from being there and I needed something special and, and I, I just figured that that was the best way to do that. So having them in, like bringing them into your space, into your home, even though it's your home, you've got the backdrop set up and the camera in front of them, is that taking, this is something new to these um, men and women. So did you find that suddenly the tables were um, were turned and, and like whereas when you were the, the green firefighter and they're taking, <laughs> you, was it the other way around and kind of now finally you get to sort of have a little bit of control and feel like um, you're teaching them something for a change? No, not really. I, I, I don't You're like still to still intimidated it's, by them. <laughs> still intimidated by them, but... Uh, it's not intimidated. No, it's just like the level of respect, I guess, that you have for them. Yeah, but look, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to control. I think the whole point of those things was to not control anybody. You know, I've tried mm. to not control any of this situation. I mean, you can't control fire anyway, yep. but even, even more so these portraits. It, you know, I really wanted to... I really wanted to show that, you know, these were people that were just walking down the street or, you know, were next to you in Coles or next to you, you know, at a, at your son's football game or something yeah. like that. And then, you know, within half an hour, they're standing facing this ferocious beast. Um, you know, and it was that, it's that transition of these people. And I really wanted to try and understand who they are and, you know, whether I could do that with these portraits, you know, to see, you know, what are these people like? Do they look the same? Are they all different? 
Um, you know, is there something? And I think over the course of shooting those, there's certainly a stoicism has kind of appeared yes. within within their eyes, and that there, there is, I would say, having looked at them again recently, that um, I, I'd say that's the one thing that maybe is consistent. There's there's something solid. Yes. about all of those people's eyes, I think. Um, yes. But now they're trying to turn the camera on me and say that I need to have mine done, but you know, I'm a bit reluctant. <laughs> right. So, I think you so. need to as well. Yeah, well. I think, well, there's, I think the listeners um, can probably get a lot out of this um, conversation, Cam, because it's, like, it's not that you need to perhaps go to the lengths that you've gone to, to to get that beautiful portrait, but just in terms of like, you know, volunteering and learning how to fight fires and risking your life, but just the, um, the depth of a portrait when um, you have that, that mutual respect, it sort of changes everything. And the fact that um, you're photographing these people that you um, respect and love, uh, it makes a big difference to, to the portrait. So um, there's an opportunity for, you know, other photographers to maybe find that personal project uh, something that they're passionate about and and uh, you know do a series of portraits that 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 capture that um, turning this into a book how, how did that how does that work were you approached by a publisher is it something that you did you start doing the shoot and then turn it into a book what, what, what was that process like yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's been a really interesting process, uh, and it's been incredibly frustrating um, at the same time. Um, I think uh, I hadn't really thought about a book until somewhere down the track. You know, you have to, as with any of these things, you, you need to get a, a decent sized body of work together before you can consider calling anything a book. And I mean, this is just sort of you know, I don't know, 50 to 70 images of the thousands that I've shot. I'm sure there's there's many more that I've glossed over and, you know, just haven't found that connection with. I mean, you know, I'd say 90% of these pictures, you know, I have some emotional connection to um, because I can remember exactly where they were taken and the situations that they were taken in. Um, and, I, you know, I really try to strive for them to be powerful, um, you know, and, and for people to really think about, um, you know, what these people are doing and, and the lengths that they actually have to go to in order to be, you know, a firefighter. I don't want that to sound conceited, but, mm. um, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I, you know, I wanted to give them a real inside look at, you know, what goes on, you know, after the pager goes and people turn up to incidents. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was somewhere down the track that, um, you know, the book started to sort of appear in my mind. And then, um, you know, about two years ago, I started gin very gingerly started putting um, uh, a book together in blurb. Um, um, I'm not fortunate enough to have a publisher, unfortunately, but um, so I, I basically designed the book and I've had it printed by Blurb. Um, They're fantastic, it's, Blurb. It's like yeah, yeah. I was actually really I love uh, the quality of, yeah, of they, you know, and you can you can um, upgrade the paper stock. You yeah, can have exactly. there's so yep. many, and you don't need publishers these days. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I was really. I was really surprised that um, you know keeping the colours in some of these images was would have been really difficult you know yeah. for 
any printer to do because of the you know they're right on the edge of you know most um most things and and so that was you know that was something that i thought well you know this is going to be an interesting process it could look really horrible and muddy and you know and i was actually like completely blown away by i, I initially ordered one copy and uh, when it turned up it was excuse me it was incredible you know the colors were there and the the detail in the images was fantastic so um but it you know that to get to that point it took me three three designs and nearly a year of work um before i was actually happy and then you know i'm still sort of 95 percent happy with it I, there's a few things i need to change but that'll happen somewhere down the track when you know i might put out a volume two or something like that so so would you um, do um design the book and then would you um get the hard copy shipped to you so you could have a look at it and then redesign is that how you did it no, I only did that once, um, yeah. and I let. Uh, there was a few things, but I let them go. Um, so I, you know, I have redesigned it since, but I I won't send that to print until sometime down the track when I've got some more work to put in it. Um, but uh, I had them sent here, and then um, people have been sort of purchasing them, and um, I've been signing them and sending them out. So yep. uh, it's just good to know that it's out there, and you know, I've had a lot of very positive feedback from people about you know the quality of the book, but also the you know the content of the book as well so you know it's it's been a real a really uh, positive thing so I'm, I'm very pleased that um the book's out there i mean you know there's not a lot of copies out there but there are some copies out there so yeah um you know so that's that's been really fantastic um you know and i have to thank everybody that's 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 bought the book um you know it's really helped justify you know there were a lot of times when i wondered what i was doing you know financially and everything you know um whether it was a good idea and, you know, whether the work actually meant anything. And, uh, you know, I've been through all those kind of things over yeah. the years. And, you know, I guess that happens with any kind of good projects or maybe, <laughs> maybe good photographers, you know, people do confront themselves. And, you know, there's been many times, you know, I've come back with nothing and you feel, you know, you feel bad about that. But then, you know, the next time you come back with eight or nine really good images. So, um, you know, it's it's been a real roller coaster uh, of a ride, but the book process has has been fantastic. Um, I, you know, I'm very pleased that it's out there, and I'm pleased that people look at it and you know, I've got it in their homes. And um, I wanted it to be something like a coffee table book, yeah, uh, that they could look at. And look, it's not cheap to buy. I mean, it's self published, so you know, it is an investment for a lot of people and, um, you know, I'm very appreciative of, of those that have bought it because, you know, it is a significant investment for them. So, Fantastic. It is. It's a beautiful book. Um, so a, a couple more things. So just going back um, to your shooting process when you're in the fires, um, I imagine there isn't a lot of time to think. You, you're pretty much you're pulling out the camera and you're taking a shot. Do you think that the years working as a um, shooting weddings and uh, documenting um, uh, events and things like that uh, led you to this point where you you already knew what you were doing in terms of um, getting your exposure and composition and the rest of it? And so the rest is intuitive when you're up in the fires. I think some of that's come over time. Um, I mean, I've learned a hell of a lot about what I did wrong initially um, and, um, you know, not being too cliched. But I think the real key has having been, you know, is having access. You know, having access to going to these places has, has put me in positions where, 
you know, like I said, photographs have just presented themselves to yeah. me. Um, you know, and I've been very fortunate that I've been there at that time to to photograph those things. And you know, it's kind very... of they present themselves, but you've done all the work to to get yourself there in front of the fire. I mean, yeah, you, deserve, you deserve to have that shot. It's just like you know, if you're a, <laughs> you earned it. You you earned it. You, you know, if you're a street photographer and you're walking around, and you still have to have the ability to have the eye to recognise the moment that's unfolding in front of you, and then have the the ability to react and take the shot. So I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. It's like these <laughs> images are suddenly yeah. I was walking down the street. There was a firewall in front of me. Um, Look, I, I have, uh, I mean, there's another photo there of, uh, there's a guy, which is one of my favorites, really, I think. I don't have too many favorites, but, and he's got a, a knapsack on and he's attacking a tree. It's very red in the background and you can see the trees on fire and there's embers like blowing all over the place. It's, it's about four, five or six photos in. Yep. And, um, you know, I remember on that particular day, they'd asked for a couple of volunteers to walk back up the fire line to uh, check, you know, that it was contained and we found this tree on fire. And, you know, we were literally walking back up, you know, a kilometre back up this containment line and it was hot and smoky and, I mean, we couldn't, I couldn't see a thing, you know, and then we get to the top and, you know, my friend's got his light on and, it, you know, it... <laughs> another thing just suddenly appears before me you know but I you know I had breathed in a lot of smoke at that stage and you know it was very hot and it was dangerous and but uh, you know all that has to be calculated I don't know how many times I've actually thought about that during you know I've been so excited by the fact that you know something's you know I've just got this amazing frame that um you know, I haven't thought about the inherent danger until later when you get back down to the bottom of the line and you, you know, you're coughing your guts up and, mm. and suddenly it's it's very real and, um, you know, <laughs> so uh, yeah, look, I, I I guess that's true. Uh, I have put myself in situations. I mean, I've been in 47 degree heat. Uh, I've been in, you know, um, well, yeah, actually, I was going to tell you about that. So back in January, February this year. Um, there was a fire fairly close to where we live um, and we got a page at about 7 a.m. in the morning and I didn't think anything of it. It was in an area that was, you know, slightly rural but is becoming more suburban but still has, you know, some sort of hills and things. And so uh, I said to my wife because the page had been going off and off and um, then the boss called and said, is there any chance you can go? Um so my wife took the children to school and uh, I met a friend of mine, Keith, at the station. We got in the truck and we turned up at this fire and, you know, half the hillside was on fire. So, you know, I had thought it would be nothing, you know, and we'd be back home in half an hour. And then, you know, five hours later, uh, he and I were, you know, up at the top of this ridge where this house was and the fire had crept up on three sides and had surrounded the house and we got cut off and uh, I had made the decision um, that we the <laughs> hard to explain in terms but the fire had been moving up this hill but we knew there was a road going up to this house at the top and we knew there were residents in there so we got to the fire fairly early on before it became incredibly ferocious and dangerous. Now, 
we'd driven up. There were other sort of urban firefighters there, and we'd, we'd driven up and we'd sort of seen that it was moving down and I said, look, we've got a house. So we radioed back in that there was a house at the top of this ridgeline and the fire was sort of just moving very quickly through this grass, uh, shooting up towards this house. And I said to him, like, what do you think? Should we go up? And he said, yeah. So we jumped in the truck and we drove through the fire line, which you can see on my website. Um, but it wasn't overly – we made a calculated choice at that stage that, you know, the rule of thumb is normally, obviously, you would never drive through a fire line, like ever. Yeah. It's just not something you do. No. Um, but uh, it was fairly benign kind of where we were at that time. Later on, it wasn't. But um, So we we drove up to this house and um, the people didn't want to leave. Uh, yeah, so the image is like the fourth in on the website, I think, one, two, three, maybe fifth image in. It's a view, not the second one, but it's the next one where you view through the truck and so we'd driven up there and um, you know, by the time we got up there, the fire, you know, pretty much got up to the top of this ridge. And so we started working on the fire and then, you know, we got one edge of it out and then it had sort of flanked us and come around the back and was whipping up around the house. And, and then at some stage, you know, the whole, the whole hillside was just on fire and trees had come down and we got stuck. And... Um, the, the smoke was just unbelievable. So we basically took shelter in at the side of the house and next to a garage whilst, you know, we were trying to fight the fire. But, you know, there was really no point at that stage because we couldn't see a thing and, uh, you know, the flames were licking very close to our position. So um, shortly after that, you know, we had a small wind change. We were able to get out and put out embers and things like that that were too close to the house. Um, but it took us nearly five hours to get out of there and um, that had a big effect on me. You know, I, I took six months off after that because I, I felt that, um, you know, I just had needed time to get away and breathe from being in that situation. Uh, it was almost, you know, um, yeah, I don't really know <laughs> what to say about it, but I, I needed to take some time off. Um, it was a very, I mean, we had made a calculated choice and, you know, I had enough experience to know that, you know, we had to get up to that house and see if those people were there, you know, we didn't want to lose any lives. And if the house burned down, the house burned down, um, you know, it was more important that, you know, we didn't lose any people. And, um, so that was what was on my mind at that stage and why we went up to that house. Um, you know, and I've talked to the older members of, in our brigade and people that are experienced about, you know, that decision-making process and they, you know, they just said, look, you know, you, you made this decision based on what you knew at the time. So, mm. um, but, you know, uh, I think I hadn't really, I haven't thought about that situation a lot until sometime later and, um, you know, it did, it did affect me. Yeah. Um, you know, it affected me to the point that, you know, we had got stuck there. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it's not a, it wasn't a burn over, you know, a burn over is where the fire truck gets stuck in front of the fire line and the fire just goes over the truck. Right. It, we were at a house that had a decent size clearing around it. You know, they had a, a decent break, um, not so much around the back, which was a bit dangerous, but the front of the house and the sides were certainly, we were okay. And I knew when we got up there that, you know, we'd be safe, but, it was very touch and go, you know, the amount of smoke and everything that was accumulating on that hillside was quite incredible. 
particularly when, you know, through the flames you can see the Gold Coast and there's blue skies and a blue ocean, you know. Unbelievable. Sometimes. It's hard to – I just yeah. can't imagine, like and, – so and so in that five hours, what are you thinking? Uh, really, it's – we were just trying to do our job and uh, we were trying to stay – you know, we obviously – our number one priority was to stay safe and mm. to make sure that the people in that house were safe. And we did that. And at the same time, we saved the house. But, you know, that really wasn't something that was on my mind. You know, houses can be rebuilt. We all know mm. that. And it is terrible for people to lose houses. But, you know, I would have felt much worse if we'd not gone to that house and those people had died. You know, yeah. it would have, uh, I don't think I ever would have felt the same again. Um, you know, so that's uh, that was probably the closest, you know, uh, um, and I, I think, you know, that's when you have to think about, A, what you're doing and B, the fact that you're not ever really in control. Yeah. You know, when you're in situations like that, you know, the first thing you have to realize is that you're not in control. There are aspects of things you can control, like your safety to a point. Um, but, you know, the fire itself, you know, it, we just had to let it go. We did what we could, and then you know, it's uh, they managed to pull it up and stop it on the next hill hill line. So, you know, it was all right. They were concerned about us. Um, you know, we were in constant radio contact with the incident controller, and uh, they were very concerned that we actually couldn't get out because those trees had burnt down, and so we couldn't get our truck out. But um, you know, we were we were safe for the most part. But it was it was fairly confronting. How does that change? how you see life oh well you know i've been out and done it again since so yeah you, know. <laughs> you did you went you were out like what so what was that decision process like did you just said no i've got to go i'm supporting my brothers and sisters what was what what's, yeah, like, what's I, what is it what's what's what makes you continue i think i'm constantly searching for you know that my own maybe my own understanding of you know life itself and uh you know where i'm at and uh, what i'm contributing to things and you know is this how i'm contributing to the community mm. and uh, i think the decision process there was that you know people and animals and people's livelihoods were in danger and you know i could do something however little it was i could do something about that and, um, you know, that's part of the great part of being part of the rural fire service is that you do have the ability to actually do, do something. Mm. Um, so, yeah, my wife knew, I mean, you know, when that fire came up the day after Father's Day, um, we'd been out for a picnic in, you know, around that area. And um, the next day, you know, the phone just kept going off and off and off. And and the warning started happening and, you know, all the rest of it. And she she knew. She looked at me and said, look, you know, I know. And uh, so, you know, I was out the door. And, um, you know, the next nine days were just sort of a real haze of, um, you know, coming and going and a massive support from the community, from our brigade, from the local MP here, Mark Boothman, and just everybody. It wasn't just me and my camera. It wasn't just our brigade. It was the people of Canungra. It was everybody. You know, and it wasn't possible without all of those people. I mean, yes, we were on the front line. Yes, we were saving properties and things like that. But there were people driving down there with horse floats and, you know, people. Yeah, I mean, there was a guy turned up with a trailer load full of carrots for these horses. 
I mean, people's innate ability to be kind is incredible. You know, particularly in a world at the moment where there's a lot of negative news and there's a lot of negativity, you know, it showed humanity at its absolute best. You know, it was it was really inspiring. Very inspiring. What's next, Cam? <laughs> Feeding more chickens, I think. So, <laughs> uh, look at the moment. I don't know. I'm taking a small break. Um, I'm. Um, I'm. Um, we're in the midst of a difficult fire season here at the moment. It uh, started with that Saraba fire, which started on the first day of our fire season. We've had a small reprieve, but uh, the long-range forecast is that we're not going to get our cyclones that we really need again this year. So I'd say we're going to be in for a long and very arduous season again. So I think I'm just taking some time to, to rest at the moment, and then we'll, we'll see what happens um, over the next couple of months. Um, I'm hoping they're wrong. I'm hoping we get rain. I mean, people desperately need rain here, and certainly uh, the, the countryside needs it. I mean, everything's in distress, so it would be good. Um, you know, as much as I like photographing fires, I'd much rather we, you know, we had a rain and rain events now so that um, everybody can take a rest. I hope it does. I hope it rains too. Cam, I could chat to you all day, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we need to wrap this up. Thank you so much uh, for being so honest uh, today with the chat, and um, I wish you. Um, all the best and uh you know and thank you for everything you do both on the volunteering front and um bringing us these uh you know powerful images uh so that we can uh experience all of that as well so um stay safe cam okay. and uh we'll, we'll hopefully we'll chat to you again soon thanks gina my pleasure thanks very much all right, there you go, Cam Neville, and such incredible shots because really for anyone who has been anywhere near a bushfire or whatever you call it in your country, brushfire or wildfire or something, it is very, very dangerous, obviously, and to get that close, as you will c can see from some of those images, really means you are that close. So, you know, a huge respect to Cam mm. for doing this. So mm. as I mentioned, his website is Cam Neville. That's N-E-V-I-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Um, he's the same name on Instagram, Cam Neville, also on Twitter. You'll find him on Facebook under Cameron Neville. And check out, if you go to his website and check out um, his book, he's actually got a book called Into the Fire, which he has created. And it's a limited edition of only 30 that are signed um, and these, of course, contain the incredible imagery that he's captured from the the bushfires, um, and they're, they're, they're just very profound. Um, so there we go, Cam Neville. So this brings us to the end of this week's episode. What is the Aussie slang of the week, Gina? <laughs> My favourite part. <laughs> this week, Val, uh, yes. tradie is Haven't the slang word. Have we done it? Have we? I don't know. I feel like I don't think so. Tradie. No. Okay. All right. Tradie right. is uh, Aussie slang for a tradesman. Yes. So most of the trades tradies also have nicknames. Yeah. So if you're a bricklayer, becomes bricky. <laughs> Truck driver, trucky. Mm -hmm. An electrician is a sparky. Mm -hmm. uh, a garbage collector, garbo, and a carpenter is a chippy. Because they work with chipboard, I guess. I, I, I don't know. I guess, yeah. Well, so, all of this wood chips. 
Oh, yeah. That yeah. makes sense because yeah. you're working with wood. I thought it was because they worked with <laughs> oh the chipboard. <laughs> and what's a plumber? Plummy. <laughs> okay. I don't think a plumber has a um a nickname. We'll have to find out. Uh, help any Aussies. Yeah. Uh, what is Aussie slang for a plumber? Mm. I I don't know. And let us know any other tradie yeah. shortcuts that yeah. you, know, you yeah. might have missed And if out you're on. a tradie, just make sure you join the uh, the podcast community so we know who you are because. Always looking out for good tradies, Val. Yeah, good Always. tradie photographers. Even if you yeah. do photography on the side, and we know that there are tradies out there who do do that, we'd love to have you in there because this episode's obviously dedicated to you. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, where do we find you online, Gina? I'm at ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. You can also find me on all social media, uh, including Instagram at ginamilitia. And I'm also in the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast uh, community. And uh, also, if you've got a, a question and you want to ask, uh, you, you maybe you're a bit shy to ask in the podcast community, you can always email me, news at com. And if you want to fast track your photography training or you want to be in, and be mentored by me, then check out the Gold community. That's at com, and click on join the community. What about you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.